what's a feeling I get when I look to the west and my spirit is crying for leaving in my thoughts I have seen rings of smoke through the trees and the voices of those who Friday, and I was debating whether or not to play this. Is it a power ballad? And if it is, is it any good? It's been deemed a classic, maybe even the classic, but is Demony Heaven the finest track ever recorded, or the world's most bloated, overindulgent, hyped, hobbit loving song in existence? You be the judge. 2101. Where, which, which side do you think it's on, Nikki? It's okay. It's not on my Spotify list of liked songs. No. Really? Yeah, really. You've and you've always had that. What? Did, Pretty much. What, yeah. what about the, when, the, when the first time you heard it? Didn't it blow you away? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No. No. Liam. Liam, here. Uh, are you there? Songs. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite simply one of the greatest. Uh, songs ever composed really it's it's not a power ballad i don't know why people ah. would say it is it doesn't it, it's, it's got much more complexity it's it's not as doesn't have simple emotional themes like a power ballad does it's it's just it's a fantastic track and i can see why you might not have it on your regular rotation because it's so it is very involved and builds up very slowly <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> too hard for my little head yeah you should see nikki's <laughs> It's, it's probably I've had this song mansplained to me a lot in my life. Have you really? I believe, yeah, I believe that's you, what's going are on. Are you here. feel you've been mansplained right now? Is that <laughs> a, a classic example? Because it's a bit too. It's, it's a complicated song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. Well, you know, it's, it's, there's no accounting for taste, right? But you know, it's if you like enigmatic music, it's, it's a great track. And if you don't, you know, no skin off my nose. Okay, um, Stairway to Heaven says Christina, the greatest. Uh, says someone, oh, the best ever, says Andrew. Oh, Wallace, that's just cruel. You can't tease us with that song and not play at all. <laughs> oh, God, enough. it's so long, too. It's a really long song. <laughs> One of those, right, Nikki? Yeah. yeah okay. Very good. All right. Um, that's uh, our power ballad, whether or not it was a power ballad. Maybe I um, made a mistake on that one. Anyway, to this with Nikki Bazant and Liam here. Do you get your health advice off social media? Do you follow influencers who share tips on health and well-being? Online influencer Jana Samsonova died last month, her friends saying that they were shocked at how emaciated she had become and that she had died of malnutrition. The Russian blogger claimed that she had not drunk water for six years, drinking fruit and veggie juice 
Instead, her death is a warning around the dangers of following the advice of online influencers. But what can we do about it? With us is Otago University anorexia researcher and psychologist, Dr. Jenny Jordan. Dr. Jordan, welcome. Uh, thanks, Wallace. Very good to have you on about this. A, quite a very important topic, actually, because I can tell you something, Dr. Jordan. Uh, being on Instagram, I am stunned at the amount of influences that come up on my feed advising me on the correct way to eat or drink. And it's some of the diets that are put out there are, needless to say, quite eyebrow-raising. Yes. Yeah, they are. And I think, um, <clears throat> obviously, we should get our dietary advice from dietitians and people who know what they're talking about. Um, I think it's um, it's a bit, it's the state of the world, isn't it, with the internet being quite a democratic kind of uh, institution where anyone can sort of become an expert in their own, in their own minds, I suppose. But um, when they broadcast it to other people, it, it puts young people in, uh, at risk because they follow the advice of people they admire online. Right. Well, sure, you don't jump straight into our panel with us because, Nikki, you'll have views on this. Yeah, I'm in deep on this. You know, this is, I've seen this stuff going on for years and it's not right. surprising to me, actually. It, oh, and I should say it is surprising to me that this is the first death of someone like this because there's so much of this kind of very dangerous behaviour, disordered behaviour um, mm. being displayed online. And I think this is actually a really sad example because mm. this woman, if you look at her images she clearly was very very unwell and very disordered in her eating and I think that maybe with someone like her she is encouraged by the attention by by the the likes and the follows and the comments and all the kind of encouragement that she gets from that online community. Oh there's that feedback aspect and as well. Yeah and okay. it just it sort of um, perpetuates the eating disorder. I, Jenny you will have some thoughts on that I'm sure. Yeah, there's, there's um, definitely evidence that the way it's not just the way the internet sends so many messages of these curated perfect images of what you should look like and so on, but it's also the way young people interact with it. So that if they do the likes and they make comments and they read those comments, they're more inclined to uh, have negative body image, low self-esteem, and they compare themselves against those you know curated images, which uh, is a recipe to unhappiness. Mm. I'd like to know before we jump into Leon, Dr. Jordan, what makes one or what makes us so susceptible to following their advice? Um, be it, I don't know, um, anything. You, I can just, what did I see today? Um, drink lemon water for seven days and that's it. I mean, stuff like that. What makes us so gullible to quite odd notions of nutrition, Jenny? Um, I think everyone's looking for an easy answer, aren't they? And, mm. um, you know, the thing is that fed diets, usually most of the time people can't sustain them because they're just, you know, pretty awful to follow. And so people lapse from the diet, which is a good thing because they end up going back to more normal eating. But I think people are always looking for quick answers. And if you've got somebody who seems to be influential and persuasive and attractive and says this is the way to go, then, you know, that that is it's a sales technique really, isn't it? Uh, Liam, yeah, I mean that's 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 human nature. I mean, I th- I mean, I because that I have to confess that I've gone for fad diets in the past. You know, I I tried the um, the sexy pineapple pineapple diet once, which was eating nothing but fresh pineapples. Um, you know, two or three days a week, and I think I gave myself permanent um, acid reflux from it. Um, <laughs> but it was meant to it was meant to make you lose weight and increase your aerogetic power. 
Um, but that was a book from the from 1970, and so there's nothing new under the sun. But it just seems like, for all the reasons that Nikki and uh, and, and it has gone into, it's just a turbocharged effect now. And um, you know, in theory, you know, you'd think that okay, while the bad information is is getting out there and spreading that the good information can also spread just as fast and get out there. And that's what a truly democratic internet would be like. But it never seems to quite work out that way, doesn't it? Ginny? Yeah, that, that's that's correct. I can't remember the exact saying, but there's something that lies t- travel fast and truth is a much slower companion. I, I can't remember the saying of that. But, yeah, I mean, it, sensible, images, uh, sensible advice about a dietary intake is not sexy. It's not like really exciting people have heard it before and they just don't want to follow it that's the trouble Gosh. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the the stuff that we know, that we all know about how to how to eat well and how to live well and how to be healthy, it's boring stuff, right? It's not yeah. sexy, as you say, and it's not so easy to package up in a very enticing way, and it's not going to give you a quick fix. As Jenny's yeah. pointed out, you're not getting a quick fix from eating, you know, five serves of vegetables and two serves of fruit every day and eating lots of fibre. That's just... Boring, a bit right? of fish, some some pasta, that type of thing. Just not as yeah, eating well and eat, you know choosing proper whole foods and and lots of fruits and vegetables and all the kind of boring but true and evidence based advice. It's not so sexy as hey, look at this amazing pineapple only diet. You, or... you, you work in the field, Dr. <laughs> Jordan, of uh, of you know anorexia as Richard. I mean, are you uh, are you really concerned uh, about the sheer prevalence? Um, because some of these people have, I mean, they have quite a following, some of them. Yes, they do. And um, I think sort of, I guess as parents and adults, we really need to teach young people some social media literacy. We need to mm. teach them to be highly sceptical of these messages they're getting and to actually look and discuss it with the, uh, with our young people just so that they get some other perspectives. There's, there's a little bit of evidence I saw the other day that um, reality check. Uh, comments on there actually seem to help mitigate that. So maybe we need okay. more people to go on and say this is ridiculous. You need to be eating <laughs> more sensibly, or this is dangerous, or something like that. Because they promote healthy eating, isn't? I mean, that's the essence. And you say, oh, I want to, I want to be healthy. I want to change my life. I want to, for example, on Jana Somsonova's social media page, she wrote, you know, quote, I eat simple food. I have a lot of experience as a raw food chef. I love creating my own recipes and inspiring people to eat healthier. I mean, would you spot any red flags there? Yeah, well, I mean, that doesn't sound like what she was doing. She, I mean, it's, if she's only eating fruit, you know, there's only so much a chef can do with fruit, I suppose. Um, you know, she was missing out whole food groups, but, you know, put, putting herself up as an expert in terms of being a chef. Yeah, it sounds like she knows what she's doing, but uh, Nikki would probably have something to say about that. Yeah, I mean, raw food is a red flag there, you know. Like, if you're not eating anything cooked, then how are you going to get a lot of things that need to be cooked to get to release their nutrients? And the other what, thing you is... you can't live on a roof or raw food diet? No, you you can't. You need to, you need to have a, a wide variety of food. And the other thing is that a lot of this... I mean, this is disordered eating masquerading as health it's 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 orthorexia really which is not recognized as an eating disorder but it is a it's a form of disordered eating in which you are seen to be promoting health but you're actually promoting something that's pretty disordered and could be dangerous and clearly is dangerous because look here we've got a death orthorexia jenny Mm. and yes that's right and and nikki's absolutely right um so it's it's clean eating that's taken to extremes and becomes a preoccupation and starts to interfere with people's lives. 
Um, and in this case, I wonder if it was masquerading as anorexia nervosa, mm. actually, because when you look at the photos of her, she was as emaciated as you would get. Yeah, she was. Yeah, anorexia nervosa, and the outcome's the same. So I think most people don't get that low, but it certainly um, it will probably end up in the next diagnostic manual as a as a true eating disorder because it's um, certainly, as we can see, quite a serious condition. It's so good to have you on, Dr. Jordan. Thank you for taking the time for the panel. Appreciate it. That's uh, Otago University anorexia researcher, uh, psychologist, Dr. Jenny Jordan. There. So yeah. Okay. So no to raw, a complete raw food diet. Well, I mean, you can't have bread. You can't have a potato. You can't have anything that needs Goodness. to be cooked, can you? Yeah. You know. So that's limiting. That's limiting you. Ah. Um, and I, I have to ask um, one final thought on this, Liam. With your sexy pineapple diet, um, yep. what, what was it like eating a pineapple only for three days? Oh, like like I said, it's, it's not fun, right? Like it's, I can um, imagine. You know, the, the, the joy went out pretty quickly. Even and if you like pineapple. Like my, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. My, well, I don't like pineapple anymore. And my, <laughs> and my you know, I was all burning up inside because it's so acidic, you know. Oh. It was like, um, like from Alien, you know. Good having grief. Blood. Yeah. So, but you know, the, the it did you did you did like I said, I'm a sucker for fad diets. Um, you shouldn't have me on a panel for this um okay. for this topic. But, Good on you. All right. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> How are uh, speaking of uh, I guess you could also call it mis- well, speaking of the misinformation connection here. How are officials preparing for the misinformation wave for the election? An issue, the subject of a topic and stuff. Also, RNZ had its own podcast series on that. The electoral commission is in talks with social media platforms to ensure. Uh, misinformation is taken down quickly. Fringe political groups that started out as anti-vax have widened their brief to include other issues, and they've gained traction this election year. Dr. Andrew Cardo, a senior lecturer in the School of Management at Massey University, has commentated on this issue. Dr. Cardo, welcome. Hello. Is this something really quite new uh, in a New Zealand election year? Have we ever grappled with this type of thing in an election before? Probably not an election, but certainly grappled with this sort of thing before. Um, yeah, you don't have to look very far back, 1990s, and the great MMR um, debacle, where the um, uh, yeah, MMR caused autism, and some people still believe that, even though the particular uh, report that was responsible for that was uh, taken down in, I think, 2010 or 11. Uh, so we've, we've had that sort of misinformation or, if you like, disinformation uh, to deal with before. What makes it different now is the speed and the, I suppose, democracy of the yeah. internet, uh, the blogs that people can get tuned into are a, a bit of a concern. Let's go around um, the panel on this, Andrew. They might have some questions or some comments. Should we start with you, Liam? Oh, yeah. Look, I, you know, I think there's a really – there are two things, right? So first of all, you know, misinformation around election time, that, that's always been with us in one degree or the other. And the question is how much is the internet sort of supercharging it? Very, very similar to the previous uh, panel. But I guess sort of the concern I always have is, you know, about whether or not sometimes the cure can be worse than the, than the disease. And, you know, you have you have all this terrible misinformation online, but you think, what are the remedies to it? And if the remedies are that you actually end up having some sort of official shaping and framing of, 
of the narrative and the news and how to think about issues, then that presents its own danger. And, and, and my question would be, how do you how do you draw the line between safely trying to mitigate disinformation or misinformation while also actually not uh, moving into the place where you've actually got the the state or whoever actually shaping and forming opinion? Andrew? Well, that, that's, that, that's a good <laughs> good comment. Uh, and I'm certainly not advocating that the state be involved in any way whatsoever in terms of monitoring or telling people what is and is not right. That's up to people themselves to discern. And that's one of my concerns, is that people aren't doing that. They are instead hunkering down into their different tribes, if you like, and only listening to what is being said that they will have some kind of confirmation bias from. Um, what we need to do, and probably too late for this election round, but not in the next three years, is try and get particularly in the high schools where we're getting first-time voters going to be happening now, is instilling a sense of critical awareness, uh, a way of um, triangulating what they're seeing, looking at different aspects of the same thing, and trying to do some kind of uh, thought process around, well, is, is this really true? Is it is it possible um that can be difficult uh you look at what happened here in new zealand with the uh, protests around in parliament um that parliamentary protest was not a single group it was a disparate bunch of people that had similar types of claims that is there was a problem with the government in some form or another right. but they weren't united now let's bring Nikki in. I am interested in the platforms, the social media platforms, because as an everyday ordinary human, I, I mean, I report stuff on Instagram all the time that is misinformation, um, and it's not exactly speedy or swift or particularly effective, it seems to me, in terms of it doesn't stop more of that kind of same sort of thing coming up in my feed. And I just wonder, do you have faith, Andrew, in the in the platforms to actually be on top of this in terms of election coverage oh, and misinformation? Uh, asking me if I have faith is the wrong answer, uh, wrong question. <laughs> um, I I have no confidence that mm. the owners and the advertisers and the contributors to online platforms have any interest in mitigating outright deception or misinformation because that's what's providing the clickbait the more sensationalist or the the more that it sort of tunes into something that could possibly be true um for for example um it, it would be really easy for one group to repeat again and again and again within their uh, friend cycles that one political party or another is planning to do something that is quite believable. Now, I was thinking I'd, I'd give a few examples, but then I thought, oh, geez, I might actually be stirring the pot there a little bit too much. And, and maybe some people might believe what it is that I'm actually saying. So I won't. But there is, to me, the 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 
political danger that our elections, even in the future, could be destabilized by just minor tweaks within certain groups. And I'm not talking about no. fringe groups like yeah, Voices for Freedom, but just the normal everyday political blogs that okay. are in existence. Now, Andrew, we do get the point. We have to move on, but re really appreciate your time on this uh, you know, really important topic, this election. I'm sure we'll hear more on this. That's Dr. Andrew Cardo there from uh, Massey University. You're on the panel on RNZ National. By the way, we are on iHeart, on Spotify, and on Apple. If you want to go back and listen to any other uh, program, uh, just uh, do that. But finally, with Liam here, with Nicky Bazant, I want to come to what I call Friday Fundy. When we put out the call to the community groups working hard to raise funds for a special cause, and if you have a small community fundraising events get in touch with us at the panel you can email me the panel at rnz.co.nz with us is lynette from koranarika russell who is a proud volunteer tell us more we have lynette from fixation in russell welcome lynette hello wallace thank you it's hello a to the panel yeah it's a pleasure lynette tell us about fixation um, well, we're just a little group of volunteers in Kororarika Russell, and our main aim is to keep textiles out of landfill. And if we can make some money out of that for local charities at the same time, that's also good. Um, you know, so we basically, um, like we soap wash, mend, redesign, refashion, and then we on-sell the um, garments and the textiles. We've got a little retail outlet in the Main Street of Russell, and we're open Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Mondays. Um, we've got a little mending service there, and we um, mended about 400 items since we opened in early um, 2022. Yeah, and we give our money, well, we don't really raise money for any funds in particular, but we give it all away to local charities, so... Some of the people we gave away, I think, about nineteen thousand last year. Um, Goodness, wow! And wow. that's from a population of one thousand people. Good grief! That's that's amazing. I love yeah, this idea yeah. so much, Lynette. I think because it's such an issue: clothing waste going into landfill, which is where it ends up going. Even if you donate it, people, it still can often end up in landfill. It's a huge issue to do with our terrible fast fashion culture. But I'm guessing from that number of nineteen thousand, Lynette, that you must be the the garments that you're repurposing must be really hitting the spot. They must be popular. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess they are. I don't really know, but like our mending service is really um, welcome in the community. People bring in all sorts of things, and we've got our like master mender. She's in there most days and does a lot of the work. But we have lots of people working behind the scenes too, and they just come in and have a look in the storeroom, take home something that might be out there needing mending, and they bring back the most lovely things and. People seem to support us and, and buy the items. So oh, this is great. astonishing. This is amazing. We're yeah. talking about fixation in Russell. Liam? You're very, you're, you're very modest, Lynette. I mean, I was um, <laughs> sort of blown away by your fundraising total. That's, um, that's outstanding. Look, what, what yeah. sparked the creation of fixation? You know, how, how did the initiative come about? Like, who, who, who had the um, idea? Well, we actually come under the umbrella of the Resilient Russell Charitable Trust. So... 
Uh, they also manage like the Russell Lights, which is our local monthly newsletter, um, Russell Waste Recycling. So they go to all the local events and take care of the of the rubbish there. Um, they also have a shed that they're starting up. Actually, they have a working bee tomorrow, getting that organised. So it'll be like a men's shed, which will um, upcycle non-textile goods, and that will raise funds for the community as well. So um, at the end of COVID, um, the local St John's op shop, they were a bit inundated with um, clothing donations, and they had like heaps and heaps of stuff and they ended up giving us 132 black rubbish bags full of clothing and over our first three months we sorted them all out and I think we ended up sending three to the dump Amazing. It's so good to have you on Lynette as part of our Friday Fundy Keep up the amazing work. You've blown us all away with your fundraising efforts 19 grand for a population of a thousand and uh, keep up the great work Thank you very much, Wallace. Fantastic. Meanwhile, we are going to come back to uh, whether or not it's soccer versus football, probably um, Monday. Someone says, rugby, you use your hands. Gridiron, you use your hands. Aussie rules, you use your hands. Football, you use your feet. Simple. Yeah. You're welcome. And you play on foot on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a sport played on foot. It's supposed to horseback. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tell it to someone else, Liam. Um, you've, been, you've both been fantastic. It's Liam here and Nikki Bazan. I'm Wallace Chapin. Happy weekend. I'm back at 3.45. Lisa, Owen and Checkpoint next. A big thanks to my producer, Nikki Jonas.